This episode of She Explorers is brought to you by Peak Design. They design gear that lets creative, adventurous people follow their passions, and they bring all of their products to life through crowdfunding. Later in this episode, we talk with the blogger behind Happiest Outdoors about how her capture clip has transformed her hiking experience in photography. And tomorrow, November 23rd through Tuesday the 28th, everything is 10 to 25% off on peakdesign.com. Learn more about Peak Design and save 10 to 25% off your next purchase at www.peakdesign.com. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. I always appreciate how people treat me on the trails because, like, we're all out there doing the same thing, and it's a hard trail for everyone. This is Katie Fetters. I know that there are a few people who are like, I hate being called inspiring. I take it as a compliment because, really, like, if it motivates them to look at themselves differently or, like, I don't know, look at people differently, then, like, that's a good thing to me. It shows someone with a disability can do, like, the same trail as you, and, like, it's not you're kind of equals in that way and even though it takes me a lot longer or like I may stumble or whatever like it's not that I can't do it. In April of this year I received an email from a guy named Josh. It read, Hi Gail, my name is Josh and while I might be a little biased for obvious reasons I think my girlfriend would make a great addition to your next or a future podcast. Her name is Katie and has been traveling South America overland with me for the past four months. She has and is an advocate for those with cerebral palsy. She's an unstoppable explorer that doesn't let anything get in her way. In the past four months, she not only pushed herself to the limit, but also started advocating for and encouraging other women with disabilities to step out into the world and explore. Katie has climbed 1,200 steps and explored the lost city in the jungles of Colombia, pushed her limits chasing the dream of seeing Machu Picchu, and continue to amaze me, primarily because I was the only other person around, with her resilience and desire to explore. Best regards, Josh. And the subject line to this email was, quote, she won't be stopped by cerebral palsy. So it goes. I responded for Katie to reach out, we played a bit of email tag, and the timing was right for a phone call in August. We talked from her new home of Boulder, Colorado, about her travels in South America, growing up with a bodybuilder for a dad, and what it was like having an identical twin sister. Katie is 25 and in grad school. She likes hiking and bicycling and working out. And Josh was right. She won't be stopped by cerebral palsy, and she wants her story to help others with CP pursue their passions, too. That conversation happened back in August, but we had this one over Skype just two days ago. I want to start with Katie's last thought, because I think it'll help us get a better understanding of what drives her. Is there anything else that you you were thinking that you wanted to add um, while I have you on here? It's funny, I was actually thinking that last night, like, what do I really want to say? (laughs) I think it's really cool, first of all, that, you know, you felt like you wanted to share, I guess, my story. I think there's many facets of like, yes, I have a disability. Yes, I've traveled through South America. But I also just like, I want 
women to realize that like no matter kind of what insecurity or obstacle they feel like they're dealing with that like you can still make things happen for yourself whether that's doing a big trip or going to school or um like pursuing a relationship or I don't know I just I share that a lot with young women with CP it's like how are you so open about your CP it's like I don't feel like I have a choice because I'm I'm open in the public and people look at me all day long and I feel like if I were to hide that side of myself I wouldn't feel like comfortable and happy and whole. Katie's story isn't just for people with CP nor is it reflective of every disabled person's experience. And now back to the beginning. Katie grew up in Huntington Beach, California, and it's where she was when we spoke. When I look back on my childhood, I really have this weird image of just like always squinting because we were always like outside in the sun. My parents were kind of lucky enough to have a lot of flexibility with owning a small business when we were kids. And um, it was a personal training gym. So they would just close the gym in the middle of the day from 12:30 to 3:30 while we would get out of school and I always felt like we would just head down to the beach or they would go exercise like on the, a set of stairs on the beachfront and we would go play and hike around and explore and even a favorite pastime of mine was just riding my bike along the beach and I I'm like so dying to do that this week I might even do that today <laughs> is just take a beach cruiser out on the beach path it's really wonderful that your parents had that flexibility to be able to meet you and your siblings. So how many siblings do you have? I have three siblings. So I'm actually an identical twin like you. <laughs> and um, I have a younger sister who's 21 and an older brother who's 27. And Sarah and I are 25. And, and you said that since your parents owned a gym and they're so active that all of you guys had almost like you had no choice but to be active with them. Yeah, pretty much. It was definitely, and I think like we were the Fetters family and I mean, we still are, but we owned the training spot. And so we all kind of had this funny expectation of like, yeah, of course you're going to be involved in athletics. I think you said when you were born, doctors didn't think that you would be able to be as active as you are today. Yeah. I mean, when my sister and I were born, we were three months premature and it was a really like traumatic, I guess, birth. Um, and the doctors didn't think I would survive. And then when I did, and they said, oh, well, don't expect too much. Like she had a severe bleed in her brain and they didn't call it cerebral palsy till I was about three years old. Wow. But they said like, yeah, they said like, don't expect her to be able to, to walk and talk and live independently. And so I think my parents were really good at like just taking it as it comes each day and did a really, really good job of just raising like my sister and I this the same way and I know that sounds kind of weird but they just essentially didn't really treat me any differently and they probably in a way like helped me develop a little bit stronger than maybe I would have if they had been so careful Mm. I really credit that to them of kind of allowing me to just not only let my body and brain develop the way it's going to develop but even learning how to ride a bike, I, I was actually eight years old and my sister had learned when she was five. And so I did everything. We always say like, I just did everything a lot slower. And that even came with 
learning how to walk. I walked, I think like three or almost four and I used a walker. And then with the whole learning how to ride a bike, it was, it wasn't like, Oh, I want to learn how to ride a bike. It was my mom said, okay, you're going to learn how to ride a bike today. So it was a little scary, but we just, we did it along the beach path, along the sand. So every time I fall, I would just fall in the sand and they were just kind of good about pushing me, but telling me in a way that was a positive way of encouraging and you can do this and it's just going to be a little harder for you. And as a kid, you don't really think about those things. You don't internalize it all until you're much older. Mm. So as a kid, you're pretty fearless. And my parents just taught me to be fearless. And I, I just really think that my CP in a way manifested itself to be less affecting not only my physical self, but my emotional self. Could you describe cerebral palsy and, and some, some of the ways the symptoms manifest for, for other people and for yourself? It's a physical disability that affects your motor skills, your balance, your coordination, um, your muscle spasticity and tightness. And it is very, very different for every person. I think that's a huge thing to, to note because everyone I've met with CP, we all move so differently, though we all have, the, you know, we're under the same umbrella of cerebral palsy or CP. Usually it happens by something traumatic at birth, whether it's a premature birth that usually happens in twins or multiple births. And it's like a bleed in the brain. It's a, it's a lack of oxygen to the brain. It's like a stroke where the umbilical cord is wrapped around the neck. Um, and then, like I said, with my case, the doctors don't really know how you're going to develop. It can affect both your legs or just one leg. And so there's, it's really interesting. Or you're on the other side of it, you're confined to a wheelchair you can't move your mouth muscles, so you can't really speak independently. And there's a lot to think about when you have mild CP. It's this weird understanding of yourself and what CP is for you versus what CP is for them. So I'm kind of very careful to like define it. But that's my experience of CP is on the left side of my body, my my muscles are so, so tight and locked up around my foot and ankle. Like I have no control over my toes because my brain doesn't have the ability to tell like my toes to wiggle or my calf muscle to relax, my hamstring to relax. I can't do the heel to toe motion at all. So that's a common trait of CP is usually you're like walking on your tippy toes with your foot turned inward or your foot turned outward. Um, so it's really hard on the body. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it affects kind of everything with your mobility. And definitely now I'm 25, and as I've gotten older, it's been a lot harder on other parts of my body. Like my right side has learned to compensate, and my right knee is bothering me. So mm-hmm. lots of things. And that sounds, sounds tiring to have to yeah. think about it every day and to have to work on it every day. Yeah, it is tiring. It's it's exhausting and like there's a lot of fatigue that surrounds having CP and um, your energy depletes so much faster. And so like even for me, I started a little part time job just as like a cashier at World Market and it's been so fun. And then but then I get home and I'm like, oh, I just stood up for eight hours and you're killing me. And I'm like, you know, does everyone feel this spent? after the day. 
When I was in high school, I got a stress fracture in my left shin. I was stubborn and I didn't replace my running sneakers. Running down paved hills in New Hampshire took its toll on my body. By the time I saw an orthopedic doctor, it was at least six weeks later and it was for considerable, unignorable pain in my right leg and hip. When the bone scan glowed green, I couldn't believe the stress fracture was in my left leg. That all the changes in movement, the compensating shifts while I ran, just shifted the pain from my left leg to my right leg. So when I hear Katie's story about her body compensating, I think about that six weeks and I have to multiply it by a lifetime. This doesn't stop Katie from hiking. A year ago, she got a medical device called an exosim. It's a prosthetic orthotic hybrid, and while it looks a lot like a large leg brace, it's much more sophisticated than that. It helps Katie walk and hike more easily, but it doesn't alleviate all of the pain. Hiking is one of the activities she and her boyfriend Josh enjoy. It's actually, I think, kind of a really sensitive thing for me to talk about with him because... I am realizing like even though I have this awesome exosim device that I wear, it's I still my body still has limitations and it still has CP despite having a lot of the pain taken away and I'm am walking better, but I still fatigue a lot faster than normal bodies. And so I learned this when we were in South America and hiking that I, I can't do a whole eight hour kind of hike. Um, I, I just realized I just like can't do that. And, and I learned by being in the middle of it and then like having to just sit down and, and then, but being scared at the thought of having to, you know, go for another three hours out of mm. where we just came. And so, yeah, being in Boulder has been great and exploring all these, these cool, just amazing <laughs> hiking trails. There's like, I feel like there's not, you can never hike all of them. It's crazy him also realizing that I have these limitations and that I can't just like keep pushing it and pushing it that probably a three, three hour hike is like enough for me. And he's six, five and his like one step is like two or three of mine. They're like (laughs) also a lot clumsier and I enjoy hiking and I love being outside, but I, I don't want to not enjoy it anymore by doing this, a really like too intense or long hike. And so Yeah, we're having to find that happy medium of like, how long do we want to be out today versus how many like miles we do. Katie and I talk about the lessons Katie learned from traveling South America, why she started Cerebral Palsy Strong, and her advice for approaching disabled people on the trail after a word from our sponsor, Peak Design. So my blog is uh, hiking and adventure travel. I started out just blogging about hikes near my house. I live in Vancouver, BC in Canada. But then I started traveling more to Washington State across the border and then to Nepal and Iceland to do more hiking trips. This episode of She Explores is brought to you by Peak Design. They design gear that lets creative, adventurous people follow their passions, and they bring all of their products to life through crowdfunding. I talked with Taryn, the blogger behind Happiest Outdoors, about her capture clip. I use it all the time. I was getting a new camera in preparation to go to Nepal last year and to do a big through hike in the Enchantments in Washington. I realized that 
the way I was carrying my SLR was just not working. So I would carry it either inside my pack in a camera case or kind of on the strap crossbody over top of my huge backpacking backpack. And it was bumping around and hitting my trekking poles. So I did some research and found out about the capture clip and bought it and <laughs> have not looked back since. How has having the capture clip changed your hiking experience? Before, I would have to stop and pull out my camera or I would take pictures with my phone instead of with my nice SLR because my phone was easier to grab. But I found since using the capture clip, I'm hardly ever taking photos with my phone anymore because my camera is right there. It's mounted on the shoulder strap of my pack. I can grab it quickly without having to unbuckle anything or unzip anything. I just pop it off the clip and take a picture and put it back on. And I also found that I'm able to take more like in the moment photos, um, take photos of my friends that I'm hiking with and they don't even notice I've stopped to take a photo because it's so seamless. Tomorrow, November 23rd through Tuesday the 28th, everything is 10 to 25% off on peakdesign.com. Learn more at www peakdesign.com. That's P-E-A-K design.com. We're back. Katie shares her route down the western coast of South America. We went to almost to Punta Gallinas, which is the most northern point in the continent of South America. Wow. All the way to the final city, like the final destination, really, of what felt like the bottom of the earth, <laughs> which was Ushuaia, Argentina, Tierra del Fuego. It's the furthest south you can physically be on the continent. There must have been so much variety in landscape and people. And um, to see all of that in four months is like incredible. Yeah, it was it was exactly that. Like I, I've never traveled like that overland, especially camping, but, but that's like another side of it, but just physically moving like over time to these different places. And it was summertime in Colombia. And then it was, we went straight into the mountains in Ecuador and it was freezing at 11,000 feet. It was just incredible. And yeah, so like not only the the land itself but the seasons were changing and the people were constantly changing and I could start to understand the accents less and less <laughs> it was really really cool in that sense to to travel that way and I, I recommend everyone to do it if they have the time and the money and the resources to do that mm. you know you knew your boyfriend's reason he wanted to get to the tip of Argentina. It was, it was, it was experience oriented, but it was also goal oriented, but you were still kind of thinking and meditating on your reasons for, for taking the trip. Have you thought any more about that? Thought more about, you know, the why of that travel? First, it was very much like just to be with my boyfriend because we had been pretty much on and off long distance for the past six months. And then when I was out there and I definitely remember this one whole week in Peru, it was kind of depressing in a way because we were just driving through pure desert and there was nothing but sand and trash fires and people living on the side of the road. It was really kind of hard to be these travelers in a nice car and a nice tent and just see that. And mm -hmm. I kept thinking like, well, what, what, why am I doing this? And what is here for me other than like being with Josh and 
seeing these things and um, wanting to get to Patagonia really was kind of also part of my goal. And it was so far away still. We were still probably like 3,000 miles away. So I let that kind of get to my head and think like, oh, I miss my family. I, I, I miss the comfort of being able to like flush the toilet with toilet paper and um, I don't know, just there's all these things kind of came crashing down. And I think part of, I had to really rediscover like my reason for being there. Cause I was, that was there in those moments and knew I was going to be on the trip for two more months at that point. And you want that accomplishment in a way, mm. in a weird way. And to say that you drove from Colombia to Argentina, like it is so fun to say that you actually did it. I think, think I always have that curiosity of like, knowing I needed to be present and feeling those things, it was like a really good thing for me to go through. So kind of bring up these questions that I think it was, it was from this film 180 South that he said, traveling makes you answer the questions that you never know you had. Um, I think that was what he said. And it really does that for you. It makes you question like, well, why do I care? Like, what type of bath mat I have or all these things that like are so trivial. And I remember being out there and being so like distraught over this, it's like materialism and who you are like in that way of how people see you. And I just think I still kind of let that go out the window, right? Like even living now, like back in the U S and back in the home and family and all these things. And always take a look back at that those moments and thinking like oh yeah I don't really need to buy that right now or there's so little you need in life and you know what you do need is like found in your family and found in the relationships that you build and the places you go I think now like of course I would rather spend money on travel and experiences and um, just like time almost time with the people that you love and like I'll always look back on that time as like a really hard thing I went through emotionally in that way and physically it was really hard as well to camp the en entirety of that but um just being more aware of like what you what you care about and what you don't care about in life and I think um that's kind of what I took away from it hearing you talk about some of your not revelations from travel because that sounds cheesy but I mean the clarity that some of the clarity that you found through travel. So I think clarity is a really good word because it, it just kind of, it shows you like what you value in life. And it like, it is a revelation in a way where you're sitting up at three in the morning. It's so quiet because there's no one around and you're just out in the open and you realize like, maybe I don't have to do that because everyone else is doing it. You know, I think I'm just, I'm okay with like not doing things traditionally. And I don't think, I really gave those things any thought before I went on this trip. Like even, even going on the trip, people were like, well, why would you do that? Really like negative response. And I just thought like, well, why, like, why not? Like, why not do it and put yourself through the hardship of being cold or being bitten by too many mosquitoes or being tired and not wanting to go anywhere, but no, you have like a thousand more miles to drive and, I just think I'm always like up for the, the challenge and um, to do that with someone too that is already like 
so invested in the trip too is a really like motivating thing because you just want to finish it together and it's like a really cool bonding experience. When Katie came across Good Wi-Fi in Peru, she decided to rebrand her blog Teen CP. She started the blog when she was 17 and it was all about those experiences as a teenager with CP. Now that she was coming into her own as an adult, she wanted to call it something else and also make a social media handle that was bigger than herself. She called both the blog and the social handle Cerebral Palsy Strong. On social media, she encourages other people with CP to share their stories. I felt like, for me, CP Strong was not just like about, oh yeah, I gotta like toughen up and be strong and adapt to the world, but it was more of like, cerebral palsy is going to like break you here and there. You're going to be vulnerable. You're going to be scared. And it's not an easy thing to deal with when you're kind of confronted with it here and there, whether it's like a physical barrier or emotional barrier. But then kind of the sense of overcoming that, whether it's just to talk about having CP. Send me a picture. Tell me a little bit about yourself and what being CP strong means to you. It's not my thing. It's Like, I want it to be our thing. And the diversity that I've gotten around the Instagram account has been really fun. I've shared a guy who does CrossFit, a girl with CP in both legs, who does CrossFit and YouTube videos to talk about her CP. And it's like a rich, rich experience of cerebral palsy. And that's what I love about it, because that's what it is. It's not just, oh, you have CP and you're put into this box. It's Everyone is doing so many different things with CP. Like there's a girl who plays the piano and has CP in her hands. And that to me is incredible because my left hand can't really do anything with coordination. I want to highlight these people who are doing really cool things. And even though they all feel like very average, every one of you has something to share. And that's, I think, the whole idea for me of having CP strong, not just be about my story anymore, because I had so many years where I just talked about my daily life as a high schooler with CP, and then that got really old really fast. <laughs> <laughs> what what power do you think there is, if you think there is a power in both people with CP and people without CP seeing these stories? I don't know. I think Instagram is my favorite social media in the way that you can. It's very visual, and you look at these pictures, and there is like a sense of dangerous longing around it. Like, oh, I want that for myself, or I want to go there, and I want to go here, and I want that puppy, or whatever. But um, the power of behind storytelling in general is so, like, massive, because I always just feel like there is a story to be told, and I sometimes don't even know what that story is until you're, like, already putting it out there, and people are responding in the way they respond. They like to see people being physically active because that gives a lot of parents of young kids with CP, like, I guess that hope. My kid has CP too, and they're just learning how to walk, and they're three or four, and I have all these fears for them. But, like, you kind of settle those fears because you're showing people who are young adults, who are educated, who are active, who are in good spirits, who are, you know, making friends and I think that's kind of the power behind like telling a certain narrative and to do those things that freak you out or scare you or you think you couldn't do. And then to like come back and reflect on that and share that experience. Also to humanize the experience of all these things is really important. 
Because I think people also have gotten the sense of, you know, you're so inspiring, you're so strong, and this and that. And I, the other day I wrote a blog post that was, I don't know where it came from, but it was very emotional and kind of sad. And it made me, I was just like not feeling good about myself. And I was tired and it was like a very real thing. And, you know, even a dad of a young girl with CP emailed me and he's like, you guys are always so tough, but you help me understand maybe what more of what my daughter is going through in those moments of insecurity and vulnerability. My mom kind of taught me that. The importance of sharing like the, the harder stuff and like the not so fun stuff of CP is like people need that because they need to know like that they can be understood and that you're the one putting words to these experiences really. Mm. And I think that's really powerful. <laughs> I think so too. I read that piece as well. And I appreciated in that piece that you didn't tidy it up and have like a really firm resolution because that's not the way emotions are like you you can't always like wrap them up with a bow even though I work out and travel and I do these cool things I, I it's not that I don't have like bad days and that I don't think about these things too like I, that I don't want to be bugged when I'm on the bus and oh why do you wear that thing and I have such a visual physical disability mm. like with my brace on yeah because then people know that that's an indicator of that you are injured or that something is wrong with you or that you have a disability. So it's been kind of a learning curve for me, too, to, to talk about CP in terms of wearing the exosin. Mm. Yeah. Is there like an if someone else were to meet you on the trail while you're hiking, is, is there a way that you would like to be approached like, do you have any advice for people who maybe come across people who have disabilities in the outdoors or see someone who might be wearing an exosim and, mm-hmm. you know, how to how to talk to them, how to make the outdoors as comfortable a place for them as it is for you as it yeah. is for them? I don't know. I've just always, yeah, been out and some people say something and look at me and some people don't. The other day we were out on a pretty steep trail and this couple were coming up behind us and I always feel the need to like kind of pull over and let them pass because I'm pretty slow. And, you know, she, she kind of looked at me like, Oh, what, what happened? Do you, you know, tear your ACL or whatever. And cause it looks like a knee brace from the front. And I said like, Oh no, um, I don't usually say like CP or cerebral palsy or disability. Cause it just doesn't really, it doesn't add up when I'm on this crazy trail that I have a disability, like it it almost kind of doesn't register. So I just say, Oh no, I'm fine. Thanks. Like mom, it just helps me like stabilize or whatever. And she was like, Oh, right on. It was really positive. It wasn't like something's wrong with you. And um, she's like, yeah, I had had a knee surgery too. And that took a really long recovery, but you're doing great. And so that was kind of funny because I am now identified as recovering athlete (laughs) versus that I would wear something like this for my whole life presumptiveness is funny Mm. but I can kind of laugh at it because I'm like oh yeah yeah I'm not just injured but thanks (laughs) yeah and it's not you know it's not necessarily on you in that moment to need to explain that to to someone else yeah and yeah unless they actually do like genuinely want to know then I I know I can tell them like oh it's actually for cerebral palsy I think I scared this one guy the other day. He goes, oh, man, how long do you have to wear that thing for? And I said, oh, like forever. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, what? And I just said, yeah, like I just I um, 
I was born with something that makes my muscles really tight. And he goes, wow, well, that's like carbon fiber, right? And people can geek out over it. <laughs> Even a thumbs up is kind of cool sometimes. There was a few older guys at one point who just gave me a thumbs up and looked and kind of like addressed the fact that I was doing the same trail they were doing with like a struggle. I think I would rather just have that and just be like, yeah, move on, like thumbs up. Then have them like stop and make sure I'm okay and like, do you need help and this and that? Because usually I'll have someone with me too. Yeah. And they know. Um, but no, I don't think there's any sort of courtesy around it other than like, yeah, maybe just smile and and keep moving and know that like we're moving along a little bit slower, but just fine. I was curious about something Katie wrote in a gear review blog post. Quote, the tool helped us to adapt to a public that is light years behind adapting itself. I asked Katie how she balanced her expectations between needing to adapt herself for others and society needing to adapt to her. You'll notice that the answer is pretty one-sided, with Katie expecting more from herself than the public. I think living with any kind of disability or condition or even like you know, mental illness, it's hard because people are telling you that being different has that that negative stigma around it still. I, I just think that you grow up, you just have to figure things out for yourself because no one else, even in my family, there's no rule book for my parents to like raise a child with CP. And so there's a constant like, like implicit understanding that if you're going to like do the things that everyone else does, that you just have to adapt yourself. I think when you think in terms of like accessibility and like being out in the public and I always think of how accessible is this place for like someone in a wheelchair? I always think that. Cause even I have sometimes I have a hard time if like the stairs are really steep or things are slippery. Like I always have to kind of watch where I put my feet. And so it's just a interesting balance of like kind of being okay with um, knowing that that's just going to be your, your life is like you're going to be in constant adaptation to your environment. Um, you know, traveling around South America, I, I had the constant thought of, well, a lot of people can't do this because so many places in like these more, more, more or less developing countries don't have ADA regulations like a lot of um, places in the U.S. are starting to realize they need to have. And even just like the physical exertion of traveling is hard on the body. And I, I think too, like there's like this emotional aspect of having to um, adapt your understanding of your body and yourself to like kind of emotionally accept that you're this way and like it's not really going to change very much unless you work really, really hard at it. No matter what people face the world isn't really going to be that forgiving about fitting into like your needs and whether that's having a disability or not it's more of just like learning how to kind of map out what you need to do to to get from point a to point b or to start something new and it's like not easy and scary but it's not that it's impossible katie is sharing stories that prove just that I want to end with her final thought, a continuation of the one we started the episode with. She wanted to make sure that we all heard this. 
I feel like if I were to hide that side of myself, I wouldn't feel like comfortable and happy and whole. And so I, I just, I like to encourage other people to just be who you are, like without any like reservations. And it's hard to do, like it's hard to kind of think like, who am I, who do I want to be? But I'm paying more attention to like how I react to things, how I want things to be told and shared. And I'm more intentional in that way. And I want other people to know that it's like good to be intentional too. And to really kind of sit back and think about like why they're doing things and what they want to do and achieve. And I don't know. (laughs) It's just, yeah, that's basically what I wanted to share. I hear Katie, and I want to leave you with these questions. In what ways can we adapt for others more often? How can we make space on the trail or the slope or in the pool? How can we help others get from point A to point B? How can we broaden our societal expectations? I'll be pondering these questions too. Thanks to Katie for taking the time to talk while she was busy with her last few weeks of the semester. You can learn more about her project through her website, www.cerebralpalsystrong.com and her Instagram at cerebralpalsystrong. If you've been waiting for Women on the Road to return, you're in luck. It's back on Friday with a fantastically thoughtful episode featuring Morgan Brown. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks to our sponsor, Peak Design, for all their support. Be sure to check out their long weekend sale this Thursday through Tuesday. Thanks to Taryn for talking to me about her capture clip. You can find her blog at www.happiestoutdoors.ca. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Make sure to stay in touch with us through our Facebook group, Just search She Explores podcast on Facebook. And if you enjoy She Explores, you'll love the essays, interviews, and featured artists on she-explores.com. Music is by Lee Rosevere. Until next week, bye.